What's up, Snoop? From Raleigh, North Carolina, welcome to the CMC Show, the show that gives GIS a voice. All right, so let's hit it then. Hi, I'm Tom. I'm Eric. And this is episode 32. Of the CMC Show. Yeah, we're here today, and we're going to talk about a few different things. Um, We've both been doing some traveling, and uh, first thing I'll point out is, hopefully I sound a lot better to the listeners out there, I uh, got myself set up with a uh, new microphone and headset since we no longer sit in the same room. Yeah, you sound much better than you did the last time, which is great. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So maybe maybe we sound like we're right next to each other. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm not sure. I want to work yeah. on the, the post game. Yeah, right. Um, so anyway, yeah, I was uh, I was I was on vacation, but then I um, I went to the uh, Esri User Conference, uh, which was the second week of July out in San Diego, and I was there all week. And it's interesting because it was the second time I had actually been out there, uh, but the first time I was there, which was about five years ago, uh, I was there with the uh, North Carolina Department of Transportation. And I was sort of there to, um, you know, like learn and go to some uh, seminars and and uh, see some people's presentations and, and demos and, and stuff like that. And this time around, being with uh, Precision Hawk in the private sector, I was out there sort of uh, trying to figure out, you know, where where the trends are in the satellite industry and maybe a little bit with drones because obviously I got a lot of questions about that because you know, they see Precision Hawk and, you know, that's the first thing somebody asks me about. And that's sort of my icebreaker too. Like, you know, we're a drone company, but, you know, we also do satellites and that's what I do. But um, yeah, I, I went to a few, um, few different events uh, just revolving around the satellite world and just trying to see what was out there and talk to some of our partners that we use to, to get our satellite imagery and uh but it, it you know it was pretty fun and of course i had some time um to meet up with some old co-workers that were there uh you know partaking in some of the you know conference stuff as well and so it was nice to catch up with them and you know talk about what they're doing and sort of you know get 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 an idea of where things are going so that sounds good anything you really thought that was really amazing or like you know interesting i know you texted me a few pictures one looked like a person was flying in some sort of eagle thing yeah yeah um so i didn't talk to the guys at that booth but you know that that area always had like a huge line because this was this um it was like a simulator essentially i believe the company uh was was sort of uh with their their one major offering was um basically like a 3d rendering of a, a major city and in this case it was new york and so you could lay in this um like chair sort of device and like put your arms out like you were flying and you'd put on these, um, these virtual goggles. And then you would also have um, like a, uh, like a fan blowing in your face. And as you turned and moved your arms and everything, you would actually um, fly essentially through the city. And uh you know, everybody standing around you could see on a, a big TV screen what you were seeing. And then you sort of just, you know, navigated your way around. And it was, uh, I didn't do it. Uh, one of my friends who I used to work with did it. And he, he said it was pretty cool. Um, and like I said, there was a huge line of people waiting to do it. But um, yeah, it was, it was pretty neat. That was probably the coolest thing I saw there for sure. As far as like demo purposes go. Um, I also saw our... Uh, Friend of the podcast, uh, Adam Carnow from uh, Esri Charlotte, giving a presentation. Um, I don't think he saw me, but um, I, I sent you a photo of that as well. Yeah, I saw that. That was good. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I will say that overall, um, you know, with a, with a five-year gap between the last time I was there and now, there wasn't a whole lot of um, different things. I mean, the setup was pretty much identical um, a lot of walking around, a lot of different stuff. Um, the technology definitely seemed to be more advanced, obviously. Uh, there was some 
uh, area down uh, on the far end of the exhibit area where they had all these sort of um, like tech startup type companies where you'd get this tiny little desk and like a computer screen or two and you'd have like two people from the company and they would be talking about like their um, their cutting edge uh, new device or technology and and stuff like that. And so I, I talked to a few of those guys just to kind of see what they had. One of them was a, uh, a company that uh, could basically uh, get like a uh, 3D rendering of the Earth's surface. So like a digital surface model or a digital elevation model, which was something obviously that we would love to uh, build out or incorporate with our satellite imagery that we offer um, with TerraServer. So that was kind of neat. Um, and some of the uh, just interesting to see the different takes from the satellite vendors that were there uh, because that's kind of what I focused on. Um, so of course, Digital Globe was there. Uh, they're our primary partner. And then um, we also saw uh, Earthcast, which is another company that we've been talking to and Planet Labs. Now Planet Labs is the company that has all the micro satellites that they put up into orbit that have the ability to basically image the globe on a daily basis and they image when I say image the globe, I mean everywhere on the globe every day. Now what you sacrifice in those instances are uh, what we call spatial resolution. They have really good temporal resolution. So in other words, the revisit is, is very good. Uh, but their, the resolution on those is like three to four meters or even three to five meters in certain cases. Um, but just very neat to see that. And then, you know, going back to Earthcast, they they have a, a submeter satellite offering um, that's available uh, to task or view, you know, anywhere on a on a reoccurring basis uh, based on project need. And um, the the most important thing to me too, uh, especially in my role now, was being able to sort of um, meet up with some people that you know you you talk to online and then you get to see them face to face and put a voice or a name with a face. So that was really cool because I got to do that at uh, Earthcast and Planet and Digital Globe. I knew all three three people there, and uh, I even got to uh, go to a social event hosted by Planet on uh, the Wednesday night that I was there, and that was pretty neat. And they had this um, they rented out this entire uh, little uh, like fish taco bar place that was like right across the street from the convention center. It's called the tin fish for anybody who's been out to the conference. And I, I, I was there last year or last time I was out there as well. And they had like a, a tent set up and some music with a DJ and inside the tent, they had this um, area that was like a, a table covered with sand and they had these actual um, sand sculpture people carving in the sand the planet logo which was really cool that's so, cool yeah so just a you know a lot of really neat stuff weather was awesome as usual got to go in the uh got to go in the ocean which was uh it's actually kind of warm it was 69 degrees for for out there so okay that sounds good the ocean uh always is a nice little diversion wherever you are <laughs> if, if it's if it's nearby yeah <laughs> Like, cause it's, it's not always nearby depending on where you go, but, but I, you know, you're that close. You have to go check it out. I mean, I've only been in the Pacific ocean a handful of times, so had to take advantage of that. Got to drink some good beer while I was out there. So yeah. Any favorite, any favorites you came away with? Uh, yeah, strangely enough. So I, you know, obviously every time I go to a, a city, um, either that I haven't been to, or I haven't been into in a while, one thing I always look into are the type of beer that's out there, the good, the good breweries, what has the best reviews, talk to some of my friends. And I came with a list, like a, a small list, uh, you know, cause I didn't have a lot of time to go exploring, but I had, did have a little bit. And um, it turns out that this one brewery was right around the corner from my hotel that I was staying at. And it was called uh, resident brewing. And they had this one beer in there that was called the uh, chasing citra is what it was called. And it was just a, uh, it was a, I think it was a pale ale or an IPA and it was like right up my alley, like favorite kind of style, very delicious and just a really cool place. And you know, who would have thought it's like, literally I could walk there right around the corner from my hotel. That was literally the best, best place I went to and best beer I had the whole time I was there. So that's awesome. And it wasn't even on my list. I just stumbled upon it. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. I, um, 
I've always wanted to go out to the conference. I think it would be a really fun thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously, I haven't made it out there yet. Yeah. You so you you would still like to go though at some point. Yeah, I think just for the experience of going, I think it's one of those things that, as a GIS person, long term, it's worth like you know, going to Mecca. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> as, yeah. As, Absolutely. You might not like, you might not like the product so much, but you know, or you might not like the, uh, the venue so much, but you know, I think on both accounts going there this time would be really fun. Cause you know, Ezra's, you know, always got a good product and I think that, uh, you can't beat San Diego. So it'd be pretty cool. Yeah, no, I, I definitely think the, the venue is a, a huge draw for sure. And, and I'll be honest, you know, I, uh, the, the, I, I flew in, um, gosh, uh, Monday afternoon and the plenary that, you know, Jack gets up on stage and gives his whole kind of address and welcome to the conference is Monday morning. And so I missed that whole section and I, you know, I kind of, you know, I was there and I saw Esri, but I wasn't really there to see Esri and it's just such a great place to meet others in the industry that you want to talk to and kind of get the most bang for your buck as far as having the most um, exposure to everything, even if you don't really have any sort of, you know, strong connection to Esri. Because at my current job now here at Precision Hawk, I really don't use a lot of GIS software and tools anymore, um, but I'm still very much involved in the space. And so, you know, Esri itself, not super relevant, but, you know, a lot of the folks there, you know, it was, it was nice to be able to sort of, you know, get involved in all that. So what was like the big buzzword or the big, um, I guess you'd call it the, the, the item of interest across the whole thing this time. Did you catch any of that kind of feeling? Um, like sometimes well, it's like web services or, you know, like, is it the open data still hot? Mm-hmm. What's the, uh, what was the general, you know, hot item of the day? Well, I will say that definitely five years ago when I was there, it was RTIS online. And, you know, obviously we're, you know, five years removed from that. Everybody's using that now. It was absolutely by far. And we had this sort of inkling when you and I went to the little seminar here in Raleigh, but uh, RTIS Pro, that was definitely the thing that they were pushing, talking about, integrating with, um, they weren't really talking about, you know, sort of the elephant in the room that is ArcMap sort of going away down the line um, and everything moving sort of to pro. But um, that's definitely where they kind of, you know, there was there was there was um, branding and marketing and advertising for it everywhere. And everybody wanted to talk about like how whatever their solution was, and these are the vendors, it integrated with something that had to do with Pro. Um, so, so definitely, definitely ArcGIS Pro. Oh, that would be expected, I think. Mm-hmm. And well, good. I'm glad at least uh, you know there's nothing new cropping up that I haven't missed. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean you and I seem to be pretty well connected, especially with this show and. Um, you know, the stuff that we, we've dealt with that I don't think there was anything super, you know, eye-opening, um, especially not coming from Esri, maybe some of the other people there, but, um, but yeah, and I'll be honest, you know, I, again, I, I wasn't super involved or paying attention to a lot of the Esri stuff. Um, so, you know, I, maybe I'm not the best person to ask for that, but, uh, I think, I think that, uh, there wasn't anything really all that unexpected, so. That's cool. Yep. Yep. So, but I will, uh, I, I will say this. I'll probably will not be going back anytime soon unless I have a really good reason to, I, you know, I, I think I've, I've gotten my full fill of the, uh, of the Esri conference and what it's got. And, you know, unless, unless I substantially change careers or something happens, um, you know, I think, I think I'm good. I mean, cause I remember leaving last time thinking, you know, I need to go back in a few years and see what's changed. And uh, this time I left and I said, this was great. This is awesome. San Diego is cool. And I'll definitely be back to San Diego. But, you know, I don't know. Uh, I don't know the next Esri conference I'll get to. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then I'll fill you in in between. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, maybe if you go, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll get an excuse to go out there or something. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, we can. Uh, yeah, we can have like a, maybe the show will pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, we'll just uh, we'll get a, we'll, we'll get up with uh, one of our sponsors. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. All right. Well, very good. Yeah, my uh, my time out um, uh, the last couple of days has been spent in Michigan, and that was a really cool trip because we went up through Niagara Falls and across through Canada into the um, the not what's it called the Lower Peninsula, not the Upper Peninsula. I'm not sure which one. I know we. I know we. Dis- yeah, I know we've discussed this before. <laughs> yeah, you crossed through like uh, through Windsor, then. We crossed through Sarnia, which was um, like Narnia. What? Uh, yeah, only with an S. But um, Sarnia is like uh, I guess you call it like sort of the last exit point for a lot of um, northern and southern bound shipping coming from Lake Huron down. And it was a really uh, a really neat trip, um, mainly because I'm a Great Lakes boat watcher, and this is sort of like a trip that um, I've been looking forward to taking for a while. And for those of you who don't know much about it, uh, there's a whole culture <laughs> that's associated with uh, really? Great Lakes shipping. Yeah, and the main main thing is that a lot of ships cannot get out of the Great Lakes, and so there's a very um, distinct type of boat that sails on the Great Lakes that has a very distinct type of uh, activity they perform. And then there's what they call uh, salties, which are the boats that can go in and out of the Great Lakes. And so many people don't realize that. Um, I mean, it's just sound, it's not intuitive that Lake Superior is the main lake. And basically the Great Lakes drain from Lake Superior all the way out to the St. Lawrence Seaway. And the water moves northward. So um, the water comes, well, out of the St. Lawrence Seaway, it heads northward. And so a lot of folks kind of, you know, look at it as though it's always moving downward towards the United States, but actually the water's moving up and out of the Great Lakes, out into the Atlantic Ocean. And so most of the lake boats can travel from Lake Superior all the way over to Lake Ontario and Lake Erie, but they can't get out through the seaway um, simply because either they're too large or um, they're not built for the ocean or um, they just uh, are kind of confined for other reasons. Um, so they just sort just of based on uh, they sort of hover around there then in the Great Lakes and never really leave out into the ocean. Right. A lot of uh, a lot of the way the Great Lakes shipping works is um, you have people who um, are contracted to take um, goods from the Midwest. So a lot of it is commodities like wheat and. Uh, beet pulp pellets um, or uh, taconite ore, and they take that to places that need that uh, type of product. So a lot of like, like I was saying, the beet pulp pellets are like what you feed animals, and a lot of those um, things get shipped to Europe. And so you'll have these um, ocean-based ships that make their way through the St. Lawrence Seaway all the way into Duluth, um, and the beet pulp is shipped. Um, I'm not shipped. Is transported via rail into Duluth or two harbors or Thunder Bay, which is in that same area. And then they are loaded onto these fools so they won't scrape the bottom of the lakes. And then they make their way all the way out to the St. Lawrence Seaway. And then they are loaded finally full with additional cargo. And then they go all the way back across the Atlantic Ocean into Europe. Hmm. Um, but the boats that carry ore or carry coal, um, they travel back and forth between the ports on the Great Lakes. So to Chicago and Detroit and um, a lot of the places that make cars or um, make steel, things of that nature. So it's a very, very fascinating Fascinating is a word I use for the unexpected. Fascinating. 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 Fascinating, Captain. Fascinating. 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 A most fascinating thing happened. Fascinating. Fascinating. But it would be a fascinating project. Fascinating. 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 But quite impossible. Fascinating. Fascinating. Fascinating material. Fascinating. 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 I guess you call it a chain of distribution. So there's it involves everything from trains, uh, rail truck, uh, and any one of those things is dependent on the other one. So um, all of the, I guess you'd call it 
uh, wind power turbines that have been placed through the Midwest. Parts have come through um, the port of Duluth. And so all those ships coming over from Europe where the nacelles and the, the blades are made are stacked on these boats and they make their way across the ocean all the way through the Great Lakes system out there to Duluth. They're put on a truck or they're put on a, um, a, a train car and shipped out to the places that are going to be offloaded and then assembled. So it's a very neat, very, very neat um, thing to observe and study. Uh, the main site that I use and where the GIS angle comes in is um, I use marinetraffic.com and they have a great app. Um, I used it extensively on the trip. And what was really neat about it is uh, we were traveling across all five Great Lakes on this trip. So we hit Ontario, Erie uh, first, when we were coming, coming through Canada, and then Huron. And as you're traveling along, you can see which boats are near you and where to pull off and see them, where they're important and whatnot. And so I got to see a very old boat that was built in 1953 and a companion boat that was with it in 1952 that was in Sarnia. So we're getting ready to cross out of Canada. And right before we're about to cross in through customs, I said to my wife, wait, 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 we have to get off here. <laughs> so we whipped off the highway and went into this little park. And sure enough, there's this uh, 700 foot boat sitting there. Um, you know, the crew had gotten off to do some work. Um, on the boat. And so it was just sitting there. I could take whole pictures with it. It was really cool. And um, these are big boats and they're boats that can unload themselves. So they have these big swing arms that sit on the back of them. And all you have to do is look up lake boats, um, type in like Great Lakes, Lake Freighter, something like that. And you'll see that these boats have these large 200 foot swing arms that will allow them to empty their cargo um, with one, essentially one motion. They pull up anywhere, essentially can swing this arm out and make a pile of salt or a pile of coal. <laughs> hmm. And then similarly, when they are getting loaded, uh, it's, it's fairly automated as well. They pull up next to a, a bin, essentially that's preloaded with by train cars or by um, some other kind of uh, mechanism. And uh, the arms swing out from the shore and then put the cargo right into the hold as well. And so it's really neat. It's the whole, the whole process is very fascinating. A lot of it's automated. Um, so then uh, we traveled throughout that area um, across through Canada, headed up into Michigan. And then midweek, we headed up to the Sioux Locks, which is um, one of the major uh, transition points if you're moving from Lake Superior into Lake Huron or Lake Michigan down the St. Mary's River. Uh, there's a 21-foot drop that occurs at that particular location, and they built a set of locks there to handle the transition of the ships from Superior to Huron or vice versa. And so you can see a boat come in, and these are big boats, like 1,000-foot long, so three football fields long boats, uh, we'll pull into the locks and they'll be dropped at 21 feet in 30 minutes and it goes fast and the amount of um, water that is moved is amazing. Um, so if you figure you've got, you know, three football field long by, you know, about hundred feet wide, that's just got to be filled with water up to a level of 21 feet. It's an amazing amount of water that gets moved in such a rapid amount of time. And so we have a couple of time-lapse videos that we shot there, which was really fun. And, oh, that's uh, cool. Yeah, you should have uh, you should have periscoped so we could all tune in. <laughs> yeah, all right, all right. Yeah, uh, the thing that was neat though is we were able to plan the visit using the marine traffic app, so we were able to figure out what was going to be where, when, and we were able to drive right in, um, go right to the visitor center and the Sioux Locks. It's such a an event when these boats come through that they've actually constructed an observation platform where you climb up um, a couple of flights of stairs and there's multiple tiered deck. And you can watch the boats, I mean, literally pull up almost with their arms reach of you and then watch them go up and down in the locks and watch the guys work and everything. It's really, I mean, if you're, if you like engineering and you like uh, ships, it's a must see in my opinion. Um, mm -hmm. I loved it. I was like a kid in the candy shop and, um, and then we traveled over to, and looked at the locks from the other side and then made our way back. And so, yeah, that was, that was the big event on our trip. And like I said, uh, I was really happy with that app. Um, so if you're down like in the Outer Banks or you are, you know, in the sound, um, you can use it to track um, whatever kind of boat that's out there. Because over a certain tonnage, every boat has to have a receiver and a transmitter hmm. to let other boats know where they are. And so you can figure out what boat it is, what their job is, what they're doing. Um, so if it's a dredge or if it's some sort of, uh, you know, pleasure craft or whatnot. We were able to watch ourselves go back and forth between Mackinac Island on a high-speed ferry 
that was pretty cool. And um, so, uh, what yeah. is the name of the uh, the app? Is it the same name as the website? Yeah, if you just type in Marine Traffic on one of the either the Play Store or the um, the Apple Store, um, it'll pop right up. You can just float it on your phone. It's five ninety nine. It's a more expensive app, but it's well worth it. Hmm. Um, and it really does function well as just a general mapping app too. Uh, it has a much better, uh, I guess you call it like form factor and usability mm-hmm. in terms of just knowing which direction you're facing. And, you know, I, I was impressed with it. Uh, and then the other thing that we did do, uh, we did two other things spatially on the trip. One, we, uh, we, we actually was the first trip I've ever been on. Where we've actually carried a drone with us uh, for actual data gathering of like the family and the activities. Mm-hmm. And so, um, a lot, you know, most times it's just all of our pictures are shot with, you know, handheld cameras and whatnot. But um, we had bought a, a DJI uh, Phantom 3 with the integrated camera, which shoots a 1080p um, mm-hmm. video. And everywhere we went, we took that thing with us and we would throw it up in the air and film what we were doing. Uh, we have a lot of family portraits shot both with handheld and with the video. Uh, we had a lot of times we would go out on a boat and we would use the drone with the follow me mode where it would follow us. Or we had somebody from shore flying the drone, especially when we were taking the video of the kids in the tubes being pulled around the lake. Uh, so that was really kind of bizarre. You know, when you look back at it, you're like flying along in this boat and there's a drone right there shooting video of you and it could rotate around you as you were flying. I mean, as you're flying along the water, it's flying along overhead. Mm-hmm. It's really amazing video of the, of the, uh, very stable flight. We actually we sell the DJI Phantom Three here, so I know a little bit about it. Yeah, it was really neat. Um, we uh, we didn't get the one unit that was it was purchased for my nephew um, prior to the trip, and it was a refurbished unit. So it was purchased for relatively cheap, like three fifty or three. Oh wow! Wow, yes. that's great. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And um, well, hopefully the uh, prior owner didn't like smash it into a building or something. <laughs> yeah, we've, we've flown it all around. Um, and we found out also with the drone regulation that as a, um, as a user, you don't have to register your drone any longer. They dropped it. Yep. They dropped, yeah, they, that. They dropped that. And uh, yeah, we, we as a company were, uh, were not very, we're, we were not very happy about that. Neither was uh, a lot of people in the space. Why was that? Can you explain um, that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, I don't want to like get anybody in trouble or get us in trouble, but um Recently, our uh, our CEO was at the White House um, with uh, right. uh, President and Vice I remember President. That. Yeah, and he he basically brought up the idea that you know it this is one of the um, you know areas where we actually need more regulation, not less regulation. Hello, Mr. President, Mr. Vice President, uh, many of my fellow uh, colleagues and friends around the table. My name is Michael Chasen. I am the president of Precision Hawk. We are a drone company as well. We provide advanced drone technology and sensors to uh, uh, many farmers in the uh, agriculture space, like those uh, in Iowa that you recently just visited, as well as other industries, including construction, energy, insurance. And it is an incredible booming industry. There's a number of drone companies sitting around the table. But the one thing that I do want to raise is this is actually the one industry where we actually need a little bit more regulation, because the default is actually limiting what drone technology can do, and we need the FAA and the, uh, the other regulatory bodies have a little bit more power to regulate opening up those opportunities uh, so we can stay competitive with other countries. So it's one of the few areas we'd like to see a little more regulation to actually open up opportunity. Um, prior to a Precision Hawk, I was the co-founder and CEO of Blackboard, a large education, something, uh, education company, so also something I'm incredibly passionate about. And actually, several investors in, uh, in my previous ventures were also here around the table. I think you've assembled an incredible group of people. And I really hope that the voices are heard because uh, I do believe that excitement today is more uh, than it's been in quite some time about the economic opportunity here in America. And I want to see that momentum continue. So congratulations on the great job you've been doing. And let's continue to move things forward. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. And it's, it's just an effort to keep things safe and to know what people are doing uh, when it comes to, you know, unmanned air, you know, aircraft and keeping the skies safe for manned aircraft and, and stuff like that. And if, if you don't have a way of, you know, sort of tracking these things, then they can kind of go unregulated and you don't really know what people are doing. And, um, you know, I understand completely where they're coming with, um, you know, from that angle. I mean, 
obviously I'm a little bit biased since I work at a drone company, but I also think that um, it, it, it does sort of make sense. It, it would just sort of be like saying, well, you know, if I have a Cessna that's, you know, uh, only a two seater versus a, you know, a commercial airliner, then, uh, you know, I don't need to fly with a transponder. You know, it's no big deal. Like, let's just get rid of that regulation, you know? So, um, that, that's, that, that was kind of the idea. And, uh, I don't know what the reasoning behind, oh, I know what it was. It was a guy who, um, who ended up, uh, either suing or, uh, debating a, uh, the validity of having to have a, uh, a registration on his, uh, uh, recreational drone um, for some sort of, uh, use case. And, uh, it went all the way up the, the, the laws of the land and it was, uh, he, he won. And so the regulation was therefore kind of struck down across, across the whole industry. So that's a little bit, a little bit of backstory on, on that. Okay. Yeah. Um, I was, I was a little taken aback, you know, just because of all the discussion we had had just around with the family, with the company and all the different ways the legislation has changed. And all of a sudden that was wiped away. And my father-in-law was like, yeah, yeah, we're going to look and show me on his phone. I was like, get out. So I was like, well, that doesn't make much sense to me. Cause I'm a very much, I'm in the same camp as your company. Like I feel like if you're going to put something that weighs a sort of weight and you know, like if it's over a pound or two and you're throwing this thing up in the air, um, you know, you do bear some responsibility for it. And mm-hmm. there's also the data acquisition. You should be able to be able to, you know, have some way to track that back to the mm-hmm. owner. Um, so yeah, I feel like it's a good thing. I don't, I don't think this is, that's over-regulation by simply registering. It's no different than registering like a gun or registering something else, you know, that's, it's a recreational activity. Right. We're not saying you can't do it. We're just saying that you have to have uh, some sort of accountability tying you back to it. I mean, it's, it's the same thing where these, um, there's essentially, you know, all these rules and laws that you have to abide by with a drone that's X number of pounds if you use it commercially versus if you use it recreationally, it's pretty much completely unregulated if you use it recreationally. So, yeah. I mean, as fun as that and exciting as that sounds as a hobbyist, I mean, it does, but you'd also, you know, you're sort of just, you know, opening the, the door for, you know, accidents and sort of dangerous things to be taking place, you know, versus, uh, you know, I, I think obviously the idea behind regulating commercially more so is because obviously you're going to be using it more. You're going to be using larger drones because you have a budget and you have, you know, some some financial backing. So you have something that's a little bit more uh, robust out there. Um, so they need to have a better eye on stuff like that. But uh, but yeah, that's yeah, uh, kind of interesting how things are still kind of I mean, that's a very um you know, not to really talk a whole lot about drones, but it's just a, it's a place where it's sort of like a, it's still sort of an unexplored territory and it's still pretty, it's still very cutting edge and there's still a lot of things that are going to happen and change, you know, even still, you know, definitely by the end of the year, I would say there'd be some, some other big changes, I'm sure. The last thing is something that's also might be interesting to the folks. Um, We're doing some GPS testing. Oh, okay for the company. And I took along a couple of units with me to just cross check them to see how their accuracy was. And so I had the, the geocept, which is our SBS unit here at the office, which gets good 60 centimeter of data like we did for the, uh, Mount Hope project. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, um, using that as a baseline, we, uh, compared it to, uh, the dual GPS receiver. And it was the, I'm going to look it up here as I'm sitting here. It's the dual XG 150. Um, and we compared that accuracy. It's XGPS dash 150. And then we compared that to the Garmin glow. Um, and so we had kind of cross check those three with each other because the basic, basic use case is that uh, our utilities people want to go out and then to get a, inventory of a pole or a transformer or something on a pole and they want to be able to kind of track back to where they were when they were doing that work because they don't need a, a dead on balls you know location they just need to make sure that they're entering data for the right information you know it's sort of a nice way of sorting things out because a lot of these utilities that they go to aren't identified uniquely by an id number that's on the, 
the structure mm-hmm. at this point. And so they just are like, okay, which pole was it? What did it look like? Oh yeah, there it is. That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so if they're within three to five feet, they're fine. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the, the, the 7X is great, but it's $7,500. So that's like a non-starter. If you're deploying like, you know, 10 teams, you're not going to spend, you know, $75,000 on UPS units. So the question became is like, okay, which, what's the other alternatives? Well, we tried to duel first and that was deterred. Um, it was, it was really, uh, it looked good. It had a good discussion about it and every, everything looked like it worked um, based on some of the feedback we've gotten from people who were um, in aircraft using it. Um, because a lot of these um, airplane folks who fly around don't have GPS in the plane. They're kind of just navigating by, you know, map and reckoning, et cetera, et cetera. Well, uh, it must be good enough for them flying around in the air, but it on the ground, it uh, did not perform well. It was, it was off by a good 30 to 50 feet, even in wow, yeah, wide open skies hmm. um, using, um, and we used a variety of applications to test it. So we used, um, uh, and let me see if I got it here on my phone. We used, uh, three applications to test it. We used the canvas application. We used, uh, map it, which is another application that's on a phone, um, that allows you to use mock GPS. And then we also used Bluetooth GPS, which a lot of people are probably familiar with. Um, and then we also used, um, ArcGIS uh, collector in some testing. And so across those four apps, uh, we would get the same result from the unit. Um, we were able to use it with mock. So we mocked the GPS with it um, had to read the signal in. And uh, the straight Bluetooth read was yielding the same results as a pass through to the other applications, uh, shutting location services off um, and restricting it uh, to just the input from the Bluetooth um, kind of guaranteed that we were using the signal off of the unit and it, it performed terribly. Um, <laughs> and so we documented, we took like 30 to 40 shots with each one um, just to, to cross check it. And then with the Garmin Glow, um, it's a smaller unit and it's cheaper on uh, the Bluetooth. Um, the dual ran about $129 um, and the Garmin Glow ran 87. Um, so whatever the Garmin's got going on inside of it seemed to perform better. It was down within it. It's average error was around eight feet, but, um, that was thrown off by running it inside of trees or next to buildings or under parking decks, you know, just trying everything that people would run into, um, you know, and it, it did really well. If it was open sky out by the road, it was under five feet, which was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you, if you were up against a building, you know, where you're only getting partial satellites, it would go out to maybe okay. um, eight, 10 feet. And that's, I mean, even with your, um, even with your tremble, you're going to lose some accuracy if you bump up against the big, you know, huge concrete structure sure. or you're deep in trees. Uh, I recommend the glow, you know, out of the, yeah. uh, out of the two. Are you and, using that at KCI? Yeah. A Garmin. Yeah. Okay. See, I yeah. always, I always thought, uh, you know, like the standard for, you know, folks in kind of commercial use for a, you know, a sub meter, uh, you know, GPS unit was more, um, uh, of the Trimble variety. Yeah. Yeah. If we have to get down to that level, like we're looking sub meter, uh, yeah. we're not going to use, we're not going to use the Garmin for that. We would use a, a Trimble R1 okay. or a, with a Geo seven okay. X, which seems to be good. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. But that, um, nice. For the, for, the, for the less accurate stuff that you don't need it as close then you say, you're saying Garmin. Yeah. And it also uses the GLONASS. Uh, mm-hmm. That's a European, I think. Um, network and it, it does a really good job of kind of getting as many satellites as possible. So yeah, I think that's, that, I think that's uh, Vlad's uh, setup actually. Is GLONASS Russian? I believe it is. Yeah. Okay. So that's yeah. that's so. But we're yeah, we're you know we're we're working closer with them these days. So you know that's why they they play nicely since the new administration. <laughs> They're hanging out having tea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't. I don't. Um, yeah, I don't know if it uses the uh, the Euro Network Galileo. That, I always get yeah, those. that's that's right. That's the European one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I don't know if it uses Galileo. Um, I can look it up while we're talking. But yeah, that was the end of my um, my thing. What were you going to ask me about the customs? Oh, just uh, so I've been to Canada a couple times, but I've never 
like when I cross the border or fly in, I'm never like, they're like, you know, purpose of visit, you say recreation or vacation. They say, okay, great. Where are you headed? And then you tell them, they're like, okay, have fun. Then you, you know, it's really easy to get in. You know, sometimes it's a lot harder to get back to your, your nation of origin because they want to know what you were doing, why you were there, what are you bringing back, all that kind of stuff. Whereas uh-huh, if you're yeah. visiting, they want your business. So how does that differ? Like when you say, like, what do you say to customs? You're like, uh, we're driving across. Our destination is, um, you know, this city. And then we're going to cross the border back into Michigan. Like, is that what you say? Yeah. So what we did, we had two, two instances. So we crossed the borders, we crossed borders four times, you know, we crossed into and out of Canada and then we crossed into and out of Canada again. On the way back. Um, uh, no, actually we crossed into and out of Canada when we were in the Sulox. Oh, so, okay. Um, we have two different experiences there. We went in through Niagara. Uh, I've, we caught, I've been in a lot through that way. That's, that's how I used to go. Cause I was, you know, growing up in Rochester. Yeah. And so um, the, the fellow we got was pretty particular for us. Um, and so we're, we were pulling up in line and we were, the, we ended up picking the slowest line. This guy must've been like asking all kinds of details. And <laughs> we're like, ah, oh, shit. So we get, get up to the front of the line and um, right as we get there, the car that's immediately next to us, all of a sudden, you know, like 10 people pull over on um, pull, come out of nowhere, 10 border patrol people. And they get the couple out, child out. They start going through all the things. They pull them off to the side and start. And we're sitting here like, oh my gosh, this is great. And the kids are freaking out. They're like, what, is that? what if that happens to us? I was like, well, then, then it does. It's no big deal. They're just doing their job. And so we're, we're sitting there, we're talking to the guy. And he, he asked the same question like three or four times. And the main question he asked is like, where are you coming from? What were you doing there? And then where are you heading and how are you getting out? And so and my wife had the direction. So I look like a mildly, you know, conscious half the time and he's like where are you going i said hold on let me get out my gps and so i'm I'm fumbling through my phone i'm like yeah we're going through sarnia that's where we're heading out he's like not windsor i was like no no windsor's too far south and we don't want to go through detroit because we're heading over and so being able to discuss the itinerary of the trip and act like we actually knew what we were doing i think convinced him that we were not a harm Mm -hmm. um but like in (laughs) this just goes to show you having four kids can be beneficial so he asked us each uh, what each of the children um, to identify themselves in the car. And he asked them independently, like, hey, where are you guys headed? Um, who are you going to see? And they answered, you know, like, we're going to see grandma in Michigan, blah, blah, blah. And they get to my, 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 my middle son. And he starts banging his head on the back of the car seat, answering the question. <laughs> and the other kids start cracking up. And the guy looks at me and I said, what are you going to do? You know, he's, he's, he's 10. And he starts laughing and laughing. He's like, you folks have a good day. <laughs> and, and so we all turn around and high five to him. We're like, yeah, you got us out. <laughs> um, but when we went up into Sarnia and we um, went through Sarnia and got back in over there, that was real easy. We just said, Hey, we're heading through Michigan. And he just basically handed us our passport back. But when we went up to uh, the Sioux locks, they must have it happen a lot. We we're like, Hey, we're just taking a look at the locks, you know? And it's just me and my father-in-law, like, like two, like totally like nerds. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's like, he's like, Oh, okay, come on in have fun. You know? So we go across and we looked at the locks and we came back and, the, the woman when we came back into the, the States, she barely gave us a second glance. She was like, why were you over there? And we were like, well, we were just looking at the Canadian side of the locks. And she's like, what did you buy? And so my father-in-law bought a whole bunch of ice wine um, because that's a, a, a very Canadian type of wine, I guess. It has to do with the grapes. Yeah. Right yeah. I got it on my, uh, on my honeymoon when we were in British Columbia. It's, uh, it'll only grow at a certain latitude. Right, right. And so he was all yeah. hot, hot about stopping at the duty free shop to get that. And so we just declared that when we came back in. And um, I declared my whatchamacallit bar I got from the duty free shop. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then sure enough, that was it. We rolled back over the bridge and then we went to the lock. So yeah, it wasn't too bad. Okay. Um, but yeah, the, the biggest the biggest event was watching the other poor family with the <laughs> child get yanked out of their car and sent over into the, the, the no man's land of car uh, we car search area car search area yeah exactly. <laughs> that's funny hmm. yeah it's kind of crazy and we were, we were watching and this has nothing to do with this in some sense but we are watching the handmaid's tale right now have you watched that no right. it's a good show on uh, hulu and okay. there's, there's a part in that movie where the people are fleeing to canada because the the women have lost a lot of their rights 
and that whole episode of um, just a couple of episodes where the <laughs> they're running towards the border, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, this seems so like eerily weird. <laughs> I'm running into Canada too, but only for an hour. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah, but well, that's yeah, cool. yeah, it was interesting. They also blocked our phones as we were coming across that Niagara border, um, and also going into leaving Canada, our phones stopped working in the immediate vicinity of the the post. That's interesting. Um, so that was. Yeah, I don't know if they had a block on there or whatnot, but they had signs all over the place. It was like, do not use your cell phone, blah, blah, blah. And yeah, we lost data usage and everything. So I'm not sure if that's new or that's routine or whatever. But that was the huh. only other interesting technology tidbit. Huh. So, yeah. Um, so that's pretty much what's going down. All right. Cool, cool. Um, the only thing I'll, uh, I'll kind of throw in here at the end is uh, I have another trip coming up, and this will probably happen before we do another episode. But in uh, about two weeks, let's say Tuesday, uh, uh -huh. yeah, so two weeks from today, uh, almost two weeks from right now, I will be on a plane on my way to Denver uh, to attend the uh, Envy Analytics Symposium. And Envy, have you ever heard of Envy? Yeah, they're um, pretty much an image processing software company, and they produce the Envy software. Is that right? Uh, so Harris Geospatial Solutions produces Envy. Envy is a exactly what you just said, an image analysis software. So okay, yeah. Um, anyway, so we uh, we use we use uh, Envy, and so you know we're 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 kind of on the mailing list to be invited, but. Um, it's really more of a, a smaller, I would say, I mean, I might be wrong here, but um, maybe 300 sort of like GIS, geospatial remote sensing type professionals getting together. Um, it's not even at the, uh, I don't think it's at the Colorado Convention Center. I think it's at like a hotel in, in town. And um, it's usually in Colorado. I think last year it was in like maybe Colorado Springs or something like that. And uh, a lot of the who's who come from the remote sensing satellite world. So uh, uh, Digital Globe, who's like their backyard is, um, uh, gosh, the, it's like a suburb just northwest of Denver. I forget what it is. But anyway, they're there. Um, Planet is there. Planet is also, um, they're, they're from the, the Bay Area, but they also have a presence in Colorado as well. And it's just a nice time to, again, meet some folks. But I'm actually going um, to meet folks and uh, to kind of just hear a more technical sort of discussion and where things are going and, and just hear about the industry because I didn't get to do that very much at the Esri conference because it was so sort of, uh, it was more broad sort of, you know, like uh, not, you know, all, it's a, just a different industries, different aspects of GIS. This is a lot more focused sort of closer to what we do at Precision Hawk and a little bit of what I do at TerraServer. And I'm also going with uh, two other coworkers, one of which has been the last two years. So um, that'll be different as well. So I won't be going by myself. So, but I'll, I'll be there uh, three days, so. Nice. Yep, and I've never, I've never been out to Denver either, so that's kind of a neat experience too. So. Yeah, if you get a chance, drive up to Georgetown. It's right outside of Denver. It's kind of like a real mountain experience. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Hey, it's a cute town. It's a couple of cool breweries out okay. there, I think, are there. And that's been like 10, 15 years ago, and I still remember like that presence. Mm. Had a good pizza place there too. Okay. Cool. Yeah, this will be my real first taste of the uh, U.S. Rockies. I've been to the Canadian Rockies, but never really the United States Rockies. So, yeah, it's well worth a well worth it to the visit if you can swing an extra hour or two to drive out there. Yeah, I'll be a little bit under the uh, the the crunch for timing here um, compared to like free time at the Esri conference. But it's sh you know I should still have a little bit here and there. So should be good. Should be good learning experience and you know. Yeah, that's pretty good. Sounds great. Well, yeah, I guess we'll bring back some good information to share. Yeah, it's definitely. Going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we can definitely do that. So uh, until next time, uh, I don't think we have any uh, other real major events coming up. Um, I will I will add, since I know the reach of this podcast is at least a few people. Substantial. <laughs> Substantial. <laughs> that uh, I am doing, uh, in fact, Precision Hawk is doing the, uh, the Triangle Hops for Hope, which is a website that you can go out and search for. And basically, we partner with a brewery and create a beer. And I, this last year, uh, just with some friends, but this year, we're actually doing it as a company. 
and all of the money that is raised at the uh, uh, at the event that we have at the end of September, as well as um, we are having an event at the end of August um, down with our uh, partner brewery, Vicious Fishes in Andrew, North Carolina. Uh, all the money goes towards charity. Um, so uh, if you you know if you like to drink beer and you're not doing anything on I believe it's August 26th or September 23rd. Uh, you should come out or at least donate. <laughs> <laughs> now, how would they donate? Okay. So if you want to donate, uh, our team is called precision hops rather than precision Hawk. And, uh, yeah, right. You can text, uh, capital H number four, capital H one five to seven, one, seven, seven, seven. And then just, I guess, center your donation or you can visit, um, the uh, Precision or the uh, Hops for Hope website, go to Teams, search for us, uh, Precision Hops, and uh, click donate. So, any nice. little bit helps. Yep. That's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Was it your wife who did it last year? Yeah, was she was on, on my she was on my team. Uh huh. Yep. But okay. uh, yeah, she's not on it this year, obviously, because we're just doing it with work. So. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's cool. All right, man. Well, I guess we'll catch up next time. All right, sounds good. All right. The theme music for this podcast was performed by John Mackenzie Baxter. You can find more of his music on YouTube by searching Kenzie Baxter. That's K-E-N-Z-I-E space B-A-X-T-E-R. Be sure to follow the Capital Mapping crew on Twitter at 540CMC. We're also on Facebook and LinkedIn. To contact the show, please email us at capitalmappingcrew at gmail.com. That's capital with an O. I thought so too. I will have to censor uh, what you said shit earlier, but that's okay. Okay, so if you want to donate, uh, our team is called Precision Hops. You can text capital H, number four, capital H, one five, to seven one seven seven seven, and then just I guess center your donation, or you can visit Hops for Hope website, go to Teams, search for us, uh, Precision Hops, and uh, click donate.